Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Hi folks, this is Zompocalypse Now, and I am Tim. I'm Dustin. My name is Curtis. And we have Curtis with us on this episode. For those of you who are just tuning in for the last couple of weeks, we've had Curtis join us. And of course, Curtis has been with us since pretty much the beginning of the Zompocalypse Now thing itself, back when it was a written uh, reviews. And then he's did quite a few episodes with us uh, back when we were recording it over at Dustin's place. Not enough, but it, we're very, very happy to have Curtis with us for the last few weeks. And uh, for this episode, we watched the film The Lodge, which came out in 2019, uh, and it stars um, uh, Riley uh, Keough uh, and Richard Armitage and Alicia, Alicia Silverstone. Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone. Looking, really, <laughs> looking. You know what? She's aged quite well. She looks. She looks great. I, she's I, been I, in a lot of stuff. Like this is. I mean. She's been pretty steadily acting. She did a bunch of voiceover work, and oh, yeah. uh, she was on a show called Suburgatory that I really, really loved. A really a funny comedy with uh, Jane Levy in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was in that for two seasons, and you know, I mean, she hasn't done a lot of like like big screen movie work, but Alicia Silverstone's been working. She's a, you know, she devoted her time to her family and. You know, bit, of a, bit of a bait and switch with this movie, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you have a uh, somebody who's got certainly um, uh, as much of, of history in terms of maybe not necessarily with horror so much as just the genre in general. It just occurred to me because, I mean, the, the reason I said that is because I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff in a while, which tell, just tells me I haven't been watching the stuff that she's been in. That's that's just, right. you know, that's how that works. There's a lot of great TV and movies that I don't get to watch because I haven't had the time. But it just occurred to me, I'm like, I haven't seen her in a while. And, and she's in the limited screen time she has in this film. She's, she's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So we, we had several film choices for this particular episode. And we may circle, probably circle around to the other ones we had. And we'll talk about those, I think, uh, on upcoming episodes. But this ep- we, uh, Curtis had seen The Lodge before. Dustin and I have not. I want to tell you at some point the story about that that viewing too because it's kind of interesting. Okay, okay. But but later on. All right. So we actually we actually watched the the film right before we recorded this, and we're all in different places because, like so many other people, we're we're sheltering at home and and being you know responsible and, adults. Yeah, and not only that, but even if we weren't sheltering at home, um, we all live hundreds of miles away from each other now. There is yeah, there there is a little bit of, of actual geography in between our physical locations. So we actually watched this all together online, and uh, we're able to have a little bit of running commentary to ourselves. Uh, uh, and Dustin formed some very strong opinions um, about this movie. <laughs> There's no foundation for these opinions, and I'm going to expose him at the point. There's no foundation. Oh. <laughs> and and I I don't I I'm processing how I feel about this film because there's some very interesting stuff going on here in terms of really really damaged people, and I really feel like there's everybody walks into this movie really broken, um, with the exception maybe of the dad. But that doesn't. Hey, well, the dad's a therapist, so you know he's perfect. Well, right. and I think. Well, and you've got to remember. I mean, Richard Armitage plays the dad, and he's in maybe, maybe fifteen to twenty minutes of this thirty-five-year-long movie. No, no, he's in a good forty minutes of it. Right. Okay. Forty minutes of this thirty-five year year long movie. <laughs> it is a hundred and eight minutes long, uh, and that includes the credits. And it is a very deliberate film. This is not a fast-paced movie. This is not a fast-edited movie. Um, there's some. Re- they made some really conscious decisions on how they were going to shoot this film, and they did some things. As, as somebody who 
has directed short films and owns cameras now and, and has been shooting stuff myself, they were making some really, really distinct choices on how they were going to frame the shots, frame the world that these people are, are operating in and what they were trying to do in terms of mood with that. And they did something that I really, really like, which is they did a lot of stuff in wide shots where things are happening, you know, even, even if only something is happening in the middle of the frame or off to the, to the right or the left, there's a lot of space. And I personally, I'm a fan of that sort of stuff when it's used well. And I think they did that really well here. Um, and about the only time they really get into close-ups is actually when there's real uh, tension and real emotion within a specific character. They don't do a lot of close-ups in this movie. Um, I thought it was really visually very, I mean, it's, it's very much a, a stylistic choice that I think actually works for the movie. Um, and I think visually it's got a really great texture uh, for what, for what the story they're trying to tell. I think that's where Dustin probably is having his issues. Uh, yeah, definitely. Cause I, I mean, I can appreciate, I mean, I can appreciate the technical aspects of film and I really do I do the, uh, you know, I love to see a good, you know, good cin cinematography. I love to see good camera work. You know, uh, we have a friend named uh, Hanuman Brown Eagle who used to say that the best camera work is the camera work you don't notice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that's true of this film. It's got a lot of deliberate camera and editing choices that are are del deliberate in in not only framing and style but also in we want you to forget you're watching a movie you want we want you to feel like you're in the room with these people and so i can understand i i can you know i can appreciate those aspects of it that they really were trying to tell a very deliberate like curtis mentioned at the very beginning of the movie, pretty, you know, you know, early on that there's like almost no soundtrack to this movie. Mm -hmm. There are a few little like, you know, low violin chords throughout, but almost so little that you forget that it's there. Uh, and that was a really interesting, very deliberate choice that I, I liked being, you know, you get that feeling. Okay. So do we want, okay. Yeah. You get the feeling of being in this situation with these people very strongly. And mm -hmm. I can appreciate that again, but then, then you get to the, what is happening in the movie and there's where I had my issue. <laughs> <laughs> So let's kind of get into it. 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 it really does, like, I mean, lock right into a mood. Uh -huh. and, it, and I think the lack of score is one way they don't let you off the hook. You know, mm -hmm. There's, they're not manipulating you with music. You're, you're, you're feeling what the characters are feeling, presumably right. I did. Uh, and, um, so you just there's no escape from it, right? You're just kind of locked in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and then when there's there's one scene where there's a big swelling of music and it's kind of creepy music, you know, but that's it. That's all you get, right? And I don't and, know why they put that there. Um, do you want to tell us? Go ahead and tell us about your initial viewing of this movie because you you know made it sound like it's a oh well a it was time. it was interesting. I have a. I have a friend, uh, and uh, we attend horror movies together, and uh, she's unshakable, you know. She, she's just <laughs> super into horror movies and loves them and is not affected emotionally, you know. She mm -hmm. just, she's just fine, you know. Doesn't matter, I mean, because we've seen a million bad movies. but We went to see this one. And uh, I was late. She was already in the seat. So I barely got to say hi. I hadn't talked to her in six months, you know. And um, so the movie starts. We watch the thing. And she was so deeply affected by it. She had to run. She said, 
she said, I would love to stay and catch up, but I have to, I have to leave this place. Her, it, it, it reached so deep into her anxiety and turned it up to 11 that she couldn't even hang out afterwards. Wow. And I kind of felt the same way. It was this movie kind of affected me for several days after, um, because of the way the story was told, not necessarily the story elements. Cause you know, you're right. While it's predictable, it doesn't hide anything either. Right. You know, I mean, by the time you figure something out, they've already explained it to you. Or they're just about to. Right, like, right, right. As soon as you start, like, you know, as soon as you start kind of seeing what what is going to, what they're writing on the walls, that's when they make, you know, the choice to tell you. And, and I guess in a way, that's good. good? I, I don't know. Like, well, you end up with a certain amount of relentless expectation because it I think pretty quickly certainly by the halfway point you have an idea where this film is going to go and by the three-quarter mark you know where this movie is going to go and it's less about being surprised about where it ends up but watching well basically watching Riley Keough, I think she did a fantastic job in this movie. And it's basically just watching her character unravel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that you, you know, it's happening. You know, you know, this is not going to end well, pretty much for about halfway through the movie. You're like, she's going, people are going to die and she's going to be responsible. And then. By but th- she is not. She is not responsible. Well, <laughs> So wow. yeah, um, and that's why we were we, we started talking before we started recording. Uh, but the, these these are, these children are seriously screwed up before this movie even starts. Okay, so let's. And I think I've I've actually just in my own brain clicked onto why this why I hate this movie. And okay. so so we'll oh, get I to that. Know. I'll try and remember. Remind me. Later, so let's get into it. Uh, the movie starts with Mom, played by Alicia. Wait, Sardis. what's the movie called again? The Lodge. Okay, folks might want to know that. The Lodge. The movie is called The Lodge, and yes. so it starts with Mom getting ready to go drop her kids off at Dad's house for the weekend or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and so she's. Getting ready, it's Alicia Silverstone. She's getting ready and she's getting cramped and she looks so cute. And so she shows up at dad's house and uh, meets him in the kitchen and they're kind of talking and he says, hey, um, listen, I've been thinking and maybe it's time for us to finalize the divorce. (laughs) Not the conversation she wanted. No, that is not, I'm sure, where she thought this was going. And she like gets really shaken and she's like, what? And she's like, well, I, he goes, well, I think Grace and I are going to get married in the spring. And she's like, what? And she looks out the window and as she looks up out the window, you can see the back of a woman's head going out the back garden gate. And that's the first glimpse we get of Grace. And this is something that they do for maybe the first 20 or 20 or 25 minutes of the movie, they talk a lot about Grace, but you don't actually see her in person for a while. Like, you see her shadow, or you see, you know, little glimpses of her. I thought thought that was interesting, too, but that also saves us from kind of a a writing conceit where where a character shows up and then has to explain who they are and what they're about. Right. But Uh, they didn't bother with that. They just told us about her without her being there. And that was all right. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, uh, so so mom is taken aback. And so she goes home and she pours herself a, wine, a glass of wine and she has a sip and she takes off her necklace and then she shoots herself in the face. Right in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what sold me on the movie was I was – I didn't see that coming, not in a million. I was like, what? And then I was just like, where's this going to go from here? I know. And that's, I mean, I was on board at that point. Mm -hmm. And so then it goes through, like, all the kids are all upset. And and, uh, there's one thing I wanted to point out about that is 
is, you know, that felt very real to me. Yeah. You know? Oh, I yeah, mean, well, it, it's, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, like, like real violence is, it was very quick and horribly brutal. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, horror movies and thrillers often dwell on the violence and forget that sometimes the super quick thing that happens when you just didn't see it mm-hmm. is far more disturbing and shocking than, you know, Eli Roth spending 4,000 years torturing teenagers and, you know, or whatever. Uh, that has its place <laughs> too. But, I mean, yo, this was this was far more shocking and brutal than you were expecting. And certainly when you just, you know, it's Alicia Silverstone. I know her. She's like, oh, wait, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so dead. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not quite psycho in the shower moment, but it's, it's. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I, I didn't even, expect, I didn't, because I didn't expect her to be in this movie at all. I didn't even, I don't remember her being in the preview uh, I I even like had to look it up. I was like, "Is Alicia Silverstone in this?" And you know, people this- people talk about triggers, you know, and what that scene did for me was trigger all of those little memories and, and emotional responses to when like you have a car accident, there's like or something like that, and there's just like one moment in your life that you don't know what you just saw, mm-hmm. but you know that everything's different now. Oh yeah, that's a good analogy, Curtis. So there's religious like iconic icon iconic imagery throughout the beginning of this film. So to make it to to kind of hammer home that these are religious people, the mom has crosses. You know, in the house, there's pictures of the Virgin Mary places and, you know. Very, very much, very quickly establishing that this is a, at least mom and moms uh, and, and the kids are extremely Catholic. Yes. Uh, I, which, think, I think dad has a crucifix fetish myself. Well, maybe. But it's, you know, but that also, you know, adds a different a, a layer to it that, you know, if mom's deeply Catholic, she knows that one of the only the only unforgivable sins is suicide, which means do not pass go, do not go to purgatory, collect, you know, hell. Go directly to hell. So, you know, that is an interesting little little mini layer that you can see throughout. Probably why the kids were so upset, because the daughter is very inconsolable, and oh, yeah. you know, the brother is trying to do his best for her, and and uh, you know, dad's trying to do his best, but it's really, really hard. And uh, so six months roughly pass, and uh, he decides that uh, Grace, the girlfriend who's still not seen, uh, he's going to tell the kids that they're getting married and he wants them to get to know her. And so he is going to take them up to the winter lodge uh, <laughs> and, Title and spend Christmas together. Which there. by the way was probably paid for by his book sales. Right. He's a, he's a, Oh, and so then the kids that throw that in his face, Oh, she's in your, she's crazy. She was in one of your books. And so they do a little research on Grace, and she grew up in a cult that ended up committing mass suicide, and she was the only one to survive, or she was told by the leader to survive, or now, something. What's curious about this cult is that everything that the, the kids look this up online, and they find all this, or, or was it looking it up online or finding it in her dad's files? I, I, I didn't quite catch it. Was, it was they, kind of unclear. They Googled it. They oh. Googled it. But the... What's interesting about the footage that they show until you see the actual bodies or the where you know the suicides the the aside from the excessive number of crosses on the wall behind him it's a pretty standard boilerplate sermon yeah I, yeah i mean there's there's nothing you know i mean i'm not i'm I'm not a religious person but i grew up i grew up in in the Lutheran church and I've been to plenty of services and many sermons and and my family is religious, so I go, you know, do stuff with them uh, when I go down to see them for the holidays. This was very much a, you know, it was any sermon you could hear, which is the juxtaposition is, and then they all killed themselves. Yeah. Uh, which Heaven's is, good, baby. 
Well, I mean, yeah, there's the, the excess crosses and the fact that the minister looks like the, the, the lead singer of a Danzig cover band and <laughs> all, all the women are dressed in like school marm uniforms and, you know, so there were some, you know, definite hints to crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I would have said like a blue oyster cult tribute band. But there we yeah. go. There you go. <laughs> Visually, either one works. I think it's it's a it's a distinct look. But I I thought I thought it was really interesting that instead of giving us a clearly, uh, you know, the 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 leader of the of the congregation basically saying I'm the Messiah, or you know the the you kind of some of the usual things we get from cults, right? Um, is that this was basically <laughs> his message was here. You go tell everybody what I just told you. And I'm going to kill myself and all the rest of these people. Yeah. Good luck. Have that's, fun. That was, that was like the first thing that I was like, hmm, didn't think that out. Well, Grace is, Grace is clearly uh, had a traumatic childhood. Yes, she's had a traumatic childhood. That was all the ball was for. It was yeah. to show that. But she's doing okay. She's got a dog. Uh, she's... Uh, She's uh, some sort of anti-anxiety medication. Yeah, she's, never on meds. Just, she's about to marry a doctor. Pill. I've never met a uh, a person who has issues like that that only had to take one pill. Well, we see her take one pill quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, but usually it's like a whole cocktail recipe. Well, I thought I saw she had a bag, a baggie of pills. Oh, I didn't. See, I don't remember that, but that's probably true. All right, I saw a baggie. Well, and she's anyway. also she's also hiding this. Uh, this will she her her daddy doesn't. Yeah. Have, her, no, her, I don't know. Maybe Doctor Phil would be so pissed off at him for hiding all of this from his kids. Oh, you're going to marry this oh, lady. Yeah. So, no, but they did it. They, they knew. They knew that she was crazy. They looked her. Uh, not, not that she they had to figure either. that for themselves. They, they threw it. They no threw it in his face. Yeah, they threw it in his face when did. they first said that he's marrying her. Is she's crazy? Wasn't she in that cult? Isn't she in your books? And then they looked it up and saw the video. And then she, you know, I don't necessarily know if she was hiding. Now that I think about it, I don't think she was hiding the pills from him because he probably prescribed them. I think she was just like, oh, I don't want you to see me doing this thing. Uh, that could right. Be. Well, he wasn't totally honest about her condition with the kids, mm-hmm. you know. Well, so he basically says, "Yeah, she's got a past," you know. I mean, this is but, this is. Mm. So the kids this, don't have one ounce of compassion when they see what she went through. That's you get these little crossroads in life where you can either be a dick or not, mm-hmm. and they clearly chose the dick route. Yes. Well. It, I, I'm going to I'm going to give the kids one tiny bit of uh, I I understand sort of in a yeah. really really bad way uh, because a they're traumatized by losing their mother they're extremely religious uh, they're the idea that their mom is is not going to go to heaven these are all things that can be very very traumatized especially for a young child the the, the daughter is quite young. The, the boy is a teenager, and, and so, but it still can be very, very traumatic, obviously. Yeah, I had somebody um, tell me that about my brother. They said, well, since he killed himself, he's not going to go to heaven. And I was like, fuck you all kinds of different ways. Never talk to me again. Right. I, I was near to that. I have a hard time believing in any God that would be that cruel so but anyway well i mean it's not it's not biblically sound uh the the idea of it is a very catholic idea which is to be forgiven for a sin Mm -hmm. you have to ask forgiveness for your sins uh and and so the only way to ask forgiveness is to be physically present to do so and the only way to be physically present to do so is to actually be living. Therefore, killing yourself, you do not, that's a murder, that's taking a life without it being God's plan. And so that means, and you can't go to anyone to confess and get, you know, freed from that sin. So, you know, oopsie-doo, you're going all the way to hell. 
I personally don't <laughs> think that's, you know, we makes know too a, much. We know too much now about mental illness I, and about, you know. Right. Well, I, I think when you, you know, if you, if that's what you've got to do to end your life, maybe you have to spend like six months in Mordor and then, uh, and then nobody walks into Mordor. Um, but (laughs) supposed to take an eagle, fly you fools. (laughs) It's like, I I mean, I know you guys want to shiv me and everything, but I get to go into the East in like six weeks. So could you not? (laughs) (laughs) So here's my, here's, here's one of the first issues I have with this, with what's going on with this, these kids is that we establish that dad uh, is going to marry this, this, this grace woman um, very early on because he's telling his ex-wife, he's soon to be ex-wife this. And um, so clearly this has been a thing that's been going on for a while. Now it's one thing if you do basically you're, you're, you're keeping that from your kids because they don't know that you, you know, you they're, the divorce hasn't been finalized and the kids still have hope you're going to get back together and all these fun things. By the way, there's no real discussion of the fact that as someone as religious as they are and as Catholic as they clearly are, the concept of getting divorced, of course, is another big thing. Mm-hmm. A lot <laughs> um, but not only that, we then cut to six months later where they have apparently not met her. <laughs> or six no, I think they met her. But they've never got to know her in six months. What yeah, kind that of was another father thing. is he? And what a shitty boyfriend. Right. Um, I mean, this is, I mean. Well, maybe she's like, I want to meet your kids. And he's like, oh, no, you don't. My son is a complete psycho. And my daughter just won't stop crying. So My children are sociopaths. You don't want to meet my children. But hey, yeah. let's go. Let's go. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so. This is a very screwed up family before yeah. the movie starts. This is a very screwed up family. Um, and, and, they, and you get to see that throughout the entire film. And then you realize just how much they are. A couple of small sociopaths. Right. So they get, uh, they go to the, the lodge and, uh, <laughs> And dad's like, I'm going to go back. I, I know it's Christmas, but I've got to go back to work as a psychologist or psychiatrist, even though I set my own office hours. Yeah, businessman. Yeah, this totally convoluted reason for him to leave, that I have to go yeah. work. Uh, and so he's supposed to actually be a journalist. I think he had to go back to a newspaper. So he's, a, I guess, a journalist writing about cults. Which is who knows. Which is not excusing Nobody, him. But for... but no, I don't understand. Like he lives in a beautiful modern house in the city and has a big old giant fucking lodge out in the middle of bumfuck, and that you don't make, get that on a journalist's salary. Um, yeah, no, but you do if you write a best-selling novel about. Yeah, book deal. Book deals can sometimes be very profitable, but eh. most of them, most of them actually aren't. So, well, then you could take the week of Christmas off to be with your girlfriend and your dumb kids. <laughs> <laughs> it matters less what he does; just the fact that if he's uh, not going to be around. He's not going to be around for most of the movie. So he hops back in the only car and takes them or leaves the two kids and the girlfriend at the lodge. And so the first couple of days go okay. Oh, well, hang on, hang on. We actually, we, there's a, there's an ice skating scene where she, oh, actually, right. she actually tries to bond a little with the kids. It goes very, very poorly. Hey, we're going to frolic. No. Um, the little, the little girl's uh, doll gets of, of her mother. Cause there's a recurring, recurring shots of this dollhouse. That's based on the lodge. And then there's this moment at the end of the film where you get a particular angle, because we keep coming back to these various shots. You get a particular angle, which the father will see, that basically gives away a significant chunk of what's happening in the movie. Um, but, uh, so she's got this doll of her mom, and who she's like carries with her. Again, this is not an adjusted child. Uh, right. Poor dad skills here if your kid is... is obsessing about a doll and using it as a mom replacement, just saying. 
get the kid some professional help because she's going to grow up to be a sociopath or maybe not. On a journalist with a lodge's salary? <laughs> <laughs> or a doctor or whatever he is. Whatever he is. Yeah, whatever know. he is. Um, so, I mean, she ends up falling through the ice, but the, the doll is saved, so yay. Oh, no. So the doll falls in the water, and the little girl goes to get it. You skipped over the whole thing. So I'm <laughs> talking about the doll. <laughs> so uh, the doll falls in the water, and the little girl goes to get it, and Grace says, no, the ice is very thin here. Let me do it. And so she does the right thing. She lays flat on the ice and she scooches out and she reaches out for the doll and then all the ice underneath her breaks and she falls in the water. And so dad goes to try and save her and it's a big whole scene. And so when Grace is being yanked out of the water by dad, little girl runs up and grabs the doll. It's so irritating. Well, I mean, I think you've really tapped into the psychology of a child that age, though. Because mm-hmm. so, they're so yeah. irritating. So, yes, I know. <laughs> so, so, dad leaves, and the first couple of days go fine. You fine, know, well, for a given value of the children are ignoring her as much as possible because they really wish she'd go away. Aiden, uh, Aiden the boy is being a dick, and and Gracie the little girl is, or no, Maggie the little girl is being. Fine. They they actually do start to kind of talk because, you know, uh, Grace brought her dog, and they're talking about like, oh, would you like a dog? And and the little girl's like, yeah, but my dad would never get me one, and you know, blah 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 blah. And so they do kind of start a little bit, you know, and then they yeah, watch the. Uh, and then they go to, do you want to see the present we're going to get, for, we've got for our dad? She's like, sure. And it's basically mom's greatest hits. Yes. It's, yeah, it's mom being cute. It's like, oh, stab and twist. <laughs> ow, ow, mm-hmm. ow. And ow. so that night they decide to watch The Thing. <laughs> well, and as a huge fan of the movie The Thing, um, I really don't recall, I think it was, it was I kind of got in trouble that I, watched it when i was 13 mm-hmm. um you know and um uh, little mia is is a lot younger than 13 um this is not a, well, something that i would nice. choose to watch to, to show small children i mean you know well my my small child uh, who's an adult now maybe but i don't know if i was a particularly great dad yeah i don't know <laughs> if i would let my kids watch it right you know so anyway it's cold so they bring in this the gas heater and there's all of this like foreshadowing of like oh is it safe to have the gas heater in the house i don't know it always smells funny and you know and then the next morning when grace wakes up all her clothes are gone all her all the food is gone. All the kids' clothes are gone. They're like, what happened? What's going on? And at first, the kids are all like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And then we start. Well, the heat's off, you know. Yeah, the heat's off. The generator's not working. All the phones are dead. Uh, Dad left in the only car because he's a rocket scientist. And they're trapped <laughs> in this house with, like, beans to eat. And, uh, and a snowstorm. The, and a the, snowstorm. The dedication and the planning. But go ahead. Beans. <sighs> yeah. Beans and crackers. And that's a boil snow to get water to do anything. Because mm-hmm. water's off. And these kids are like, ah, oh, it'll be totally worth it. Well, uh, so on one level, there's a certain amount of child logic in their plan because there's a whole lot of things they have not thought about. Right. Because well, okay, so I guess at this point, um, the we need to go ahead and do the spoiler thing. Sure. Spoiler, spoiler warning for this movie, but if you listen to this podcast, you know we talk about the endings. Turns out that the kids are assholes. And they don't want dad to marry this lady. And so they have taken snippets. They've recorded snippets of their, of her father's voice saying, confess your sins and basically staged the lodge to look like they're in purgatory. 
essentially to drive her crazy. And this is what it looks like when you have a serious absence of forethought. Yes, the kids decided to drive her crazy for their mother, who is dead, as kind of revenge for their mother. Yeah. Ugh. Well, and, and on one level, they're extremely effective. The problem is they're extremely effective with a woman who has who had enough traumatic experience in the previous part of her life to be extremely susceptible and the wrong person to do this to. Yes. Um, because every time... At first, she's like... Because at first, they're trying to convince her, like, he, they, the boy is like, I had this weird dream that the the space heater malfunctioned and we all suffocated. And he's like, I think we might be, he's like kind of laying out the, we might be dead thing to her. And she's like, don't be stupid. And, you know, and they're like, no, it totally happened. And then he does this thing where he like hangs himself. He, he sets up the harnesses so he can pretend to hang himself. And then, like, show her that he had hung himself, but he is still alive. And, you know, they gloss over the fact that it takes you, like, two and a half hours to set that up and to get out of it. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, you got to have, have a union guy. <laughs> well, you, you definitely should because they're actually trained to make sure you don't actually kill yourself on one of those rigs, too. Oh, uh, you right. can YouTube that stuff. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, because I trust everything I see on the internet. Um, but you know, the thing that the thing that actually pushes her over the edge, and she is not stable. Okay, there's a, there's no question. She takes medication which they have hidden, right? Um, to to deal yeah, with, yeah, and, that, and that's really the impetus. That's the thing that they shouldn't have done. Well, not only that, but between that, her own unraveling mental state because of the situation they're in, the fact she doesn't have her meds. The fact that they let her dog out into the snowstorm, the tr- the thing that really finally pushes her over the edge is finding her dog because she makes yeah. a line early in the film about when she rebuilt her life, she got this dog and he represents her new life. So the kids managed to basically kill this, this beloved pet who actually represented more than just, this is my beloved pet. This is the dog I got to start my new life. To show that I was okay and that I was starting a new life. So I don't. I don't think it was a passive dog murder. I think. I think that boy killed that dog and then tried to hide it. No, the girl. Of, the little girl says it's my fault. I left the door open and he got out. They well, didn't I think go that he was just sticking the to cover story still. Well, they're just they're they're. These two children, I complete right, look. I completely understand that children at a very young age, and sometimes in the, in the you know older ages, are incredibly selfish little monsters. Um, they're also amazing and wonderful. Uh, yes. But children, oh come on! Well, some children, some children, <laughs> like they're in cancer. But, <laughs> but children, children have a tendency to be selfish. It's just it's just how we are when we're young. It, a lot of grown-ups have that tendency as well. It doesn't. There's no guarantee you're going to grow out of it. Uh, yeah. But I don't think an age makes you special, though. Well, no. no, but I think I think that you know, especially when you're so, these two kids have a very. I mean, on one level, they've got a great older brother little sister relationship. <laughs> he's incredibly supportive of his little sister. Yeah, he's willing. You know, he's they and they and they cooperate extremely well. I mean, yeah. They're basically playing mousetrap uh, with, uh, you know, an adult here. And, and on one level, these kids are incredibly bright. They're also... Fucking assholes. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, but there's, I, mean, I think they're both so, little sociopaths. And, I think and so, and I think now is a good time for me to, to go into why I hated this movie. <laughs> okay, now's great. Well, aside from the fact that it's slow and just it just you know there's huge stretches of nothing and and you know some of it is like these like as someone who has 
been emotionally and psychologically tortured by children, you know, it's, it's, uh, your kids, my kids, yeah, my kids were not wonderful. Like they're still not great, but you know, (laughs) they'll get better. They'll, they will. I'm, I'm, I'm fully confident that they will get better, but like, Trinaya used to say stuff like, I will like look me dead in the eye with her cold black shark eyes and say, I will never love you. You will never be my father. I will never allow you to adopt my siblings. I will kill us all first. <laughs> you know, at well, eight years old. There's a whole lot, of, whole lot of emotions going on right there. Right. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of emotions. I think that this movie, you know, in a way kind of really hit hit some of those buttons because these kids are so intent on destroying this woman mm-hmm. that they don't realize that this woman is like the only thing keeping them safe from this woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I like where you're going. And, Go you know, I just, I feel, I feel like it was just such long laborious to get to that point that by the time it got there for me, like, I could have, I could have been on board and clicked with this movie so much faster if it the burn wasn't so slow, mm. you know. Yeah, I, I don't mind the I don't mind the the slow burn, but, but it was I, like I Arctic paced <laughs> uh, to the point where one time before they before the kid started with the whole like we might be dead, I was like, if this movie the other is us. I'm going to be really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that that's what they were trying to do to her pissed me off. And then, you know, when it turned out that it was all a trick, that pissed me off. And, you know, when they end up, you know, making it all go super duper bad, that pissed me off. Because <laughs> um, there's a point. So, so they drive her crazy. They drive her completely crazy. And so she like pulls this gun out that she knew where the lockbox that had showed her where a gun was. You know, Taught her how to that. shoot and everything. Yeah, well, there's a there's a tell there where he te- he's gonna teach her how to shoot and she turns out to be like center mass grouping expert. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that there that should have been a Man. clue right now is I don't know if I wanna leave my children with a woman who's can can you know we've never discussed guns before. For some reason, I feel compelled to show her that there's a gun in the house. You never, um, you never show a person taking pills where the guns are. Yeah. And then she demonstrates the fact that she's quite capable of, you know, putting somebody down without any hesitation because she doesn't miss. So I think she killed all those people with the tape on their mouth. Who? Well, none of them were shot. It doesn't mean, you know. We're we are making a certain assumption that uh, uh, she she was a. Victim I think that, in that if case. she were if she were responsible for all their deaths, then I think that it would have laid it out a little bit more expressly. This movie, for one of its one of its uh, strong suits, is that it lays out what is happening really really well. Mm-hmm. You know. Like you, there is, you know, very little except for dad's fucking job. There's a little <laughs> ambiguity about what is actually happening when they start telling you what's actually happening. That's and true. if the thing was that she actually killed all of the cult, the cult was not a death cult and she actually killed them all. I think that that would have been, they would have told us that. At well, some I was, point. I was thinking it was still a death cult. I just thinking that she was the one who actually was Did you the know, death in? Did the death in. She's the one she's the one who brought them the Kool-Aid. <laughs> so anyway, so they drive her crazy, she starts carrying the gun around, and meanwhile, 
uh, dad, the kids are like trying to like set things back to normal because dad's coming home and they can't yeah. get the generator to start back up and, and their phones are all dead. And the little girl was talking to dad on the phone this whole time, like <laughs> assuring him things were going fine. And, oh, yeah, uh, and they, and so her phone's dead. And so then dad's like, goes, shoots to dad. And he's like, Oh, I haven't heard from you guys in a little while. Uh, what's going on? I'm driving out today to see y'all. And, you know, so dad gets there through the magic of, of, uh, of convenient snow plows that vanish into thin air. <laughs> Yeah, so we're watching this movie, and I'm sitting there going, because the dad's car pulls up in front of the house, and I'm like, wait a minute, there was a snowstorm. And, and the, the scene right before him. Plow. Yeah. How the hell is he pulling up in front of the house? And I said that out loud, Dustin goes, that's what you're going to bring up? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. And he's like, that's Listen, what you're going to bring up? That's the thing that's, that's where your sticking point is. That, so, yes. and then she goes, dad goes in the house and he sees the frozen dog and he's like, oh shit, something went really wrong. And he finds the kid, the kids like have been hiding in the attic. And so he finds her on the stairs to the attic with the gun. And she's like, we're all dead. We have to, uh, we have to repent for our sins. See, look. And she points the gun at her head and everybody's like, ah, and she pulls the trigger and nothing happens. And then she does this thing with her hand where she like, like cocks the gun over to the side, like, you know, like whatever, like, you know, very flippantly. And for a split second, this could, I could have brought me right back around. If I, for a split second, I thought she was going to turn to the kids and be like, you messed with the wrong crazy bitch fuckers. There's no way you could have done worse than to me than my parents did. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm out of here. <laughs> they was, probably wrote that ending and somebody went, no, that's a little bit. No, no, make it crazy and yeah. don't let anybody off and make everyone leave the theater feeling like they just lost some soul. Yeah. So dad tries to convince her to give him the gun and she can, he convinces her to give him the gun barrel first and she shoots him in the head. And so he's dead. And so the kids freak out and they run out to the car and they try to get away, but they're idiots. And so they run the car into a tree. And so the end, the very last thing we see is the whole family. Dad's propped up in a chair. Grace is sitting there. The kids are sitting there. There's soup. It's the happy birthday to me tableau. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. and <laughs> she gets up and she walks around the table and she puts tape on their mouth that says sinner. And then it shows the gun and then that's it. Well, there's two bullets in that gun. Yeah. So uh, she kills them kids. And they oh, deserved it. That is the implication. I, I was almost, for a minute, I thought they were going to end things because we the kids run out to the car and then you 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 just follow grace as she walks down the stairs outside and you hear the car crash into the tree you don't see it yeah and as she was just walking down those stairs and you could hear the children going we have to get away i thought this is where they're gonna end the movie yeah basically she's just walking down the stairs and you just because she's not saying a word she's just moving across the frame and again we come back to those big wide shots and they, they had stopped the movie right there would have been like, dead kids, okay. Um, well, that's where you end up anyway. Right, right. I just, these, these, this is a film that, I mean, there's, there's no, by the time you get the big twist that the kids are behind it, you know the kids are behind it. Yeah. By the time she, you know, Grace goes crazy, you know she was going to go crazy. By the time you know, by the time dad gets there too late, you're like, dad is going to arrive and he will be too late. Right. And I think (laughs) that is another thing, aside from the fact that like I've dealt with crazy children for the last five years of my life and I get it. Like that is another thing that really irritated me. It's like, you know, they would show like there's the tableau in the dollhouse 
is of all the dolls just kind of haphazardly thrown into the living room. And like they show that scene of all the dolls, the two girl dolls and the boy doll haphazardly thrown in the living room like 17 times. And I was like, (laughs) if this movie ends with them all dead in the living room in this position, I'm going to be pissed. Like, you know, there are so many Chekhov's guns in this movie, including an actual literal gun. (laughs) (laughs) They do do that. I'll definitely grant you that. You bet. The Chekhov gun is like, I mean, it's, I mean, well, they, they show everybody the gets that the, quote wrong, but everybody gets the intent right, you know? Yeah. The girl, when Grace gets in the car with the dog, I'm like, things aren't going to end well for that dog. Like, there's no moment in this movie, there is not a moment in this movie where you think things are going to turn out okay for anybody. Oh, no. No, no, no. You're pretty much, basically, from the moment, from the moment you see mom put the gun in her mouth, you know that this is not going to end well. Uh, and not to mention the fact that, you know, the, the, the poster is a close-up of uh, Riley Keough's face with a, with a cross of light down the middle and blood running down her nose, from her nose down to her, under her lips. Nothing ends well with this. If, okay. if this is your movie poster, nothing ends well. And the alternative poster, I never explained it. The other, the alternative poster is just the windows of the house with all three of them looking out. Yeah, which is also, yeah. Yeah. Never going to end well. Fuck. (laughs) What was that Nicole Kidman movie where they were? The Others. Which is getting a remake. Yeah. The Others is getting a remake. Okay. Why does that need a remake? um, I don't know. I think, I think the, I think. It's called. It's going to be called the other others. The other others. There you go. Other others. <laughs> the uh, everybody's for, other. <laughs> I have some issues with that movie, but it's also you know it's another extremely well made film. Um, I you know the I don't know I I for me I, because I there was just no real idea that anyone was going to make it out of this alive, and you just sort of I got that sunk in pretty quick. And I don't mind. I don't mind slow-paced films that have a relentless destination. I mean, we, yeah, you know, you just there. A lot of what I liked about this film were the performances. I think I think Riley Keough does a fantastic job in this film. Um, I think she is she very very effectively through a lot of a lot of uh, hand movements. Oddly enough. If you watch her hands throughout the entire movie, they are they are yeah. describing her mental state. Yes, and uh, from from very early on, you see her reacting to one of the bazillion crosses in this in this lodge. And uh, again, the emphasis there that it's the mother's cross. Uh, just watching her hands on her legs, she's looking at this. This is a woman who's been traumatized by religious iconography. She's she remembers all those crosses on the wall behind her dad. You know, so this is there's there's all these different things that are like so after a while it's just watching her act. I thought she did a fantastic job. And the dad mm-hmm. like the father is so cavalier about her mental state. He's just like, "Ah." You know, like it's no, you know, he has no uh I don't know. It's just what so I'm gonna. Well, they, I, I noticed. I mean, you say that her performance was wonderful, and I totally agree with you. But the thing is, um, there is a lot of time in this movie where where people are, uh, where the actors are. You can, if you're looking for it, you can see it a lot better. And I, and and I noticed that they aren't doing anything. Like literally their faces are blank and we're mm-hmm. just everything that we're, we're putting the performance on them like an overlay. Our emotions are, are just feeding back onto those characters and, and that's informing what's happening for us. Mm. And um, it's an, it's an interesting technique and it's, and it's, it, it works every time. I mean, if you look at, 
the career of Clint Eastwood. If that dude moves a face muscle, I will eat my hat. <laughs> I think he smiled in um, what was the film he did where he stole the the Russian uh, supersonic jet? No, oh, geez, I don't know. Yeah. But that was an awesome movie that was terrible. <laughs> it was not a good movie. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's a uh, uh, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, the the there's something there's there's something about this film that I think you're right, Curtis. It it allows you to put your own emotions over these characters. I mean, some of it sounds like uh, some of what you're reacting to, Dustin, is that personal experience that you're like, these are things I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't have that same relationship with my kid and, <laughs> um, you've never battled for your own mental state against an eight year old. Not in the same way. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but, but again, you know, you, we having, having that relationship with my kid, um, you know, I look at this father and go, are you seriously telling me? Um, you waited, I mean, these are, these, when, when, I mean, these are kids you, who live with you. It's not like, you know, if I were to start dating somebody now, my kid lives in Illinois. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if I were to sit there and go, Hey, I met somebody six months from now, we've been dating for six months, you know, she'd be like, what ifs? Cool. Are you happy? You know, be like, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. That would be the entire thing. Or can I meet this person? Sure. You know, um, you, you know, but yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of. And some... I have, I have a 13 year old, a 12 year old and an eight year old. And so I know if I ever start dating someone, there has to be a rollout. Like I would have to be dating them for a really long time, like three to six months before I even was like, sure i wanted my kids to meet them maybe even longer maybe even like oh, a year. reality happens though and 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 your partner's brushing their teeth and then trinaya walks in and it's like who are you and then you got to explain the whole thing and it's only been two weeks mm, no that shit will happen <laughs> Dustin's not going to invite them over. Yeah, you don't come to Daddy's house. Daddy comes to you. Exactly. Well, sometimes the loins speak louder than the logic. Well, this is definitely true. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's, there's. What I'm saying is, like, if I were going to introduce my kids to somebody, I would have to be like, "This is my buddy Tom." Mm-hmm. You know, I met a new, made a new friend. This is Tom. And they have to hang out. Like, I might have been dating Tom for three months, six months, whatever. But mm-hmm. they wouldn't know until after, like, oh, Tom, Tom, you're so cool. You're so great. And then I'd be like, you guys like Tom? And they'd be like, yeah, we like Tom. And I'm like, ha I'm fucking him. And then, you know, <laughs> then, you know, then, then it would be okay, I think. I think that's a solid plan, honestly. You because I'll tell you what, man, um, I got a niece and nephew, and um, I never thought I would say this, but those little kids mean more to me than anything, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and uh, especially after they got to know me a little bit, they just think that I walk on the ground that other people worship because it's the ground I walk on. <laughs> and... And I don't know what I did. But once that happened, I'm like, well, now I'm part of your lives. So how about that? Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> you open the door and here I am. Yep. Which is really, really cool. I'm not their real uncle. I'm just, I'm their dad. I've known their dad longer than any other human on earth. Mm. We've well, been friends since we were fives. Yeah, but you know what? Sometimes, sometimes it's the family you That's choose. That's how that works. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, on the other hand, um, these children in this movie um, apparently think that dad's happiness is of no concern to them. Oh yeah, they're so selfish. They're like, if 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 like their mom is dead, super dead, and they just can't. It just I, clearly their dad's not a therapist. Otherwise, he would have said, "Okay, look, 
there's a process here. Yeah. Well, he's, and, he's, he's still a shit dad, though, because it doesn't matter if he's a therapist or not. He should realize six months on, because he hasn't felt comfortable introducing his children to his girlfriend, yeah. there's probably a reason. Yeah. It's because <laughs> right. they mope around the house going, oh, Bobby's dead. And do not diminish anybody's pain, um, because sometimes, you know, <laughs> especially when you're young, things are hard to get over. Uh, but Early, still, yeah. Earlier this week, I get a call from my buddy, and he says, "Hey, Curtis, I wonder if you had a twenty-two rifle that you had for sale, because you know my dad left me a bunch of guns that I don't know what to do with." And I said, "Sure. What are you thinking?" He goes, "Well, my son was out shooting, and I thought I'd get him a gun of his own." And I was like, "Your son's only eight years old." I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to give your, your, there are all kinds of dads out there, dude. This particular one was clueless about that particular thing. Right. You know, if a kid has grown up around people who hunt and, and has known guns their whole life, then about 13 years old, that's kind of okay. Mm -hmm. But eight years old, and that kid's a goofball. I adore that kid, but he's a goofball with his head in the clouds. And there's no way he'll be able to understand. There's just like, I didn't, it, could, it, was, it took me a minute to realize that their dad really didn't understand that. Mm. And um, so, yeah, after we had a long conversation, he kind of could see my point. And I just... I worry sometimes about the world, and this movie didn't help. <laughs> well, yeah, because the next generation is sociopaths. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they're 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 horrible little monsters. The good news, yeah, horrible little monsters with their faces in phones. Uh, uh, the uh, the good news is is that um, the crazy people will kill them. I'm not sure what that means for the future of humanity, but probably not. Oh, man. I was okay with it. By the time this movie ended, I was like, good, good. Kill them kids. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And I don't know if that's like. I I just imagine someone screaming into those kids' faces. This is what happens. This is what happens. <laughs> what did Walter Kopchak say? This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. <laughs> Remember Big Lebowski? Anything? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Are we done? Can we be done? Now. We're done. Okay. So there you go, folks. We have some uh, varying degrees of of. I'm not. I, it's hard to say. I enjoyed the movie. It's a. I think it's a good movie. I think it's extremely well made. Great performances, but I'm not sure I enjoyed it. Dustin, I can definitely say I didn't enjoy it. And Curtis, I can. I can give you the things that you just said. The performances are awesome. The little girl's gonna be in the Eternals movie. Yeah. Like these are good actors. And the cinematography is so interesting and the editing and pacing are, are so deliberate, yeah. but I just hated it. I hated it. <laughs> and Curtis loved it. Well, or, or felt some sort of way about it. That's the thing. I felt it made me feel something. So I feel like it's a legit movie. Well, you know it's what they say. It's not one that I'm going to put in my collection because. Right. You know, watching it twice was like once too many, I think. Well, and you know what they say, art, you know art because it creates a reaction in you. And the fact that I had such a visceral dislike for this movie is something to be said for it. That, you know, is, is, you know... Well, you could say the same thing about Dawn of the Dead on Stranger Tides or whatever that one was. Right. <laughs> but I think that's a different, like, this This was, like, I don't know. The dislike I had for, for Day of the Dead Bloodline and the dislike I had for this are two different things. Like, 
Day of the Dead Bloodline, I will be able to tell people about and mm-hmm. laugh and be like, that's, re-, you know, the, the zombie was a stalker and he could do parkour. Like, you know, <laughs> right. And whereas this movie, I'm probably, if somebody asked me about the lodge, I'll be like, fuck that movie. You know, it's not, it's not even going to be like, oh, we can, I can share a funny anecdote about it. I'm just going to be like, fuck that movie. <laughs> there we go. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, like I said, when, when we were watching, I was like, if I ever meet Richard Armitage, I'm going to be like, you owe me $7. And he's going to be like, "What? I'm a, I'm I'm British or Australian? Why do I owe you seven dollars?" And I'm going to be like, "The Lodge." And he's going to be like, "I just did it." And I'm going to be like, seven dollars." <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll be real happy when that little girl gets the gets the uh, Greta Thunberg story. <laughs> That'll make me real happy. <laughs> just got to learn Swedish. It'll be yeah. fine. There you go. So yeah, well, if nothing else, the film gets reactions, which is something that you know, as a as a filmmaker, that's not a bad thing. People mm. people react to your movie, um, and and they get different reactions. It's not just this is great or this is terrible. Uh, and these, by the way, this is the film from the from the two directors who made uh, Goodnight Mommy, which was an Austra- uh, Austrian film from 2014. Um, that got a ton of fantastic reviews. Uh, also, a spoiler alert for a 2014 film um, about children who should not be allowed to play with sharp objects. Um, so apparently the directors have a theme that they might be working through or really, really traumatic childhoods. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> so next week we will talk about another film, of course. Uh, as always, we thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Curtis, it's always great to have you back on the show. So let's, let's see if we can Thanks, do this as buddy. many times as we can have you around. We're, you're always you're probably stuck with me now. Excellent. Hooray! We love you, Curtis. Um, we love you guys. Well, we're happy to have you here. Uh, and of course, as always, thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And of course, thank you guys for listening. We basically do this not only because we enjoy hanging out and talking about movies and stuff and uh, ourselves, but also because we enjoy that you folks listen to us. It's always great. Thank you so much for that. You can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter. We'd love to have you follow us and share the show. You can find the show on podcast.com, uh, Apple podcasts or iTunes or whatever you're calling it, depending on what system you're running, I guess these days um, and other places as well. We thank you for listening. We hope you'll see you again next week on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey for Just Some Guy Productions.